0: go to the New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 and kind of put your finger there, just kind of hold your place there and after you've got that one, I want you to find Acts chapter number 17, Acts chapter 17. 17. We'll read from both of these portions and then we will uh, we'll dive into what the Lord has for us tonight. It's my privilege to fill in for Pastor Malcolm. It's always a joy and it always makes a preacher nervous. Amen. And um, we love him and, and appreciate the opportunity to fill in tonight. Um, I do want to uh, tell you about Two exciting things that Preacher uh, told me I could mention tonight. One of them is that our ministry, Unsheltered International, is doing a free Thanksgiving dinner for anyone in need on the Saturday before Thanksgiving. I believe that's the 23rd. So not this weekend, but next weekend. So if you know someone that uh, does not have everything they need in in a a special meal on that Saturday, could be a a real help or a blessing to them, we have teams of people and we're going to deliver these meals on that Saturday around lunchtime. And all you have to do is you can call the church office here and ask for Tara, Tara Phil, y'all. And she's taking orders for that up until Friday. Friday will be the last day to take orders for that. And we have several dozen that have already signed up, and we have a, uh, just a great meal plan. So if you, if you or someone you know would like to take advantage of that, you can. It's just our way of giving back to uh, our own community here as our ministry, and we're excited about that. And the other thing I wanted to tell you about is that we're having a uh, unsheltered international that same day in the evening from 5 till seven. We're having a fish fry at our ministry warehouse out in the uh, Bethel community area. And you can take it to go or come and sit down and eat there. And it's probably the best fried catfish and hush puppies you'll ever eat. I'm talking about it's good. Some of you have had that. And uh, we're just doing a fundraiser to raise some money to replace some of the things we use in our resource clinic ministry. And so if you want to come be a part of that, either one of those... Come see me after church if you want to, and I'll tell you more about that. And I think there's some flyers at 411. And keep those events in prayer if you will, and thank you for that. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, and I'll read starting in verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, Where was a synagogue of the Jews? And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus... Whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. That simply means they followed him. They went along with him. They believed the gospel that he preached. They consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren. Unto the rulers of the city crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Verse 7 says, Whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, Saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Now flip back over, if you will, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I just want to read a couple verses here at the beginning of chapter 1. Paul in Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father... Before we pray, I want you to notice the account that we looked at in Acts 17. There was no church in the city of Thessalonica. Now, the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's called the epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And so we're going to find out tonight that Paul went to Thessalonica, the city, and he, by sharing and opening and alleging, that means preaching and arguing, that Jesus had risen from the dead, those that consorted with him or agreed with him and joined him, they would become the nucleus of a brand new church, just like what happens when we give our missionary offering and then go to North Vietnam or Nigeria or wherever, and they plant new churches. That's exactly what happened here. And this, in 1 Thessalonians, is a letter that Paul wrote to further instruct them after their church had begun. So we're going to look tonight and talk about the gospel in Thessalonica. What happened when the gospel came to this place? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for the good, cold weather, the grace of God, and all these folks that are here tonight. Thank you for the heat inside. And I pray that you would bless us as we give this message. I pray you'd instruct us and encourage us and equip us, Lord, to be more knowledgeable and to be more effective in our gospel witness as we go about our lives as as men and women of God. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may have a seat. Thank you for standing with me. In the early stages of the church, and we should know this really good uh, at this particular time in our church's life, because Pastor Malcolm is taking us through the book of Acts, so it should be fresh on our mind. But in the early stages of the church, as recorded in the book of Acts, the new believers began to be persecuted greatly for their faith. That is, the, the believers there in Jerusalem, the ones that believed the gospel and were saved, such as on the day of Pentecost and then following that. And one thing that was particular about persecution is persecution caused the the disciples to be moved or to be spread abroad. Actually, in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4, the terminology is scattered abroad or scattered about. And we find out by studying in Acts, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, that this persecution that caused them, literally, many of them to flee for their very life was actually a good thing. How many of you know that God can take something that Satan intends for evil and he can turn it around for his honor and glory? God's a, he, he's just wonderful at doing that. And so what happened is many of these new believers went everywhere because they were fleeing for their lives. But when they went, they opened their mouths and began to talk about their new faith. They began to preach and they began to tell everybody and the Word of God began to spread. One of the main players that caused this persecution was a Pharisee among Pharisees named Saul. He despised the new teaching about this risen Messiah. He could not believe that a lowly carpenter's son uh, from the town he was from could possibly be the true Messiah of the Jewish people. And he began to do everything in his power to stop those that were preaching and disrupting the traditions of his fathers. He even was present when, uh, when Stephen, I believe in Acts chapter 8, was stoned to death. Paul was there consenting, the Bible says, unto Stephen's death. So he was a bad guy in that regard. But God, don't you like that? But God, in a way that only God could do, stopped Paul or Saul right in his tracks, literally in Acts chapter number 9. But instead of killing Saul, like God had every right to do, and if I was God, I, I guess it would seem like that would be the way to get rid of him. Instead of that... What God did is God actually revealed himself to him. He revealed himself as the Messiah. And God graciously saved him. Now Saul had always been a man full of zeal and purpose. He was a religious zealot and he was adamant about what he did. And when God saved him... He did a complete 180, and now he began to preach the gospel. Have you ever known somebody like that? They were going, it seemed like 100 miles an hour, headed straight to hell, but then the grace of God stepped in, and all of a sudden, they're on fire for the Lord. That's exactly what happened with Malcolm Carter Sr., Exactly what happened. And so that's what happened to this man named Saul. Now, I say that to say this. If we fast forward to Acts chapter 13, we find Saul along with Barnabas. And we find out that they were one of the, the, actually the the very first, the two very first New Testament missionaries in the church at Antioch in Syria. They were ordained as missionaries and sent out by that church to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. We find out from Acts chapter 13 and verse number 9 that Saul's name was also Paul. And from Acts 13, 9 until the rest of the New Testament, we know him as the beloved and the great and the mighty apostle Paul. Paul, the greatest missionary to ever live and write his account in the Scriptures. Over the next few years, Paul would make at least three missionary journeys, depending on how you divide up the book of Acts, possibly four distinct missionary journeys. On his first journey, he went to Seleucia in a place called Salamis and Paphos, and Perga, and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystria, Derby, and Italia. But it was on his second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul and his companions landed and went to the place called Thessalonica, and that's what's recorded in Acts chapter number 17. The point is this. None of those cities that Paul and his company, his fellow missionaries went to after Acts 13, none of them had the good news of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was truly a pioneer missionary. He blazed a trail. Matter of fact, he said that he did not want to build upon another man's foundation, but he wanted to go to the regions beyond and preach the gospel where Christ's name had never been named before. And so there he went, and when they came to Thessalonica, God had ready people to hear his message. And by the way, just in parentheses here, if you'll pray and ask God, and if I'll pray and ask God to send me to somebody, he'll send us to somebody sooner or later that he has ready to hear his message from our Lips. Somebody say amen. Amen. So when they went to this city, as as I read in Acts 17, they preached, they argued the gospel, and, and God began to save people. Before they left, they established a church, they appointed elders, and there we go. The gospel came to Thessalonica. Now, let's look and let's examine three aspects... Of the gospel coming to Thessalonica. Aspect number one, I want us to look at how the gospel was shared. How was it shared? This will be the gospel coming to Thessalonica on the shoulders of the missionaries. Then we're going to look next at how it was received. That is by the people there in the city. And then we're going to end up in a minute by looking at how it was effective for that city and the people in it, how was the gospel shared? Did, did Paul and uh, Sylvanus and Barnabas did, did, did they go there full of pride and full of arrogance and, and and all these things? and did they go there with the iron fist? Did they go in there believing that they were God's gift to the world and and that you better listen to me because I'm some great thing? We'll find out that's not exactly how they operated. But we are going to find out, number one, that the gospel was shared by them with boldness. In chapter 2 and verse number 2, the Bible says, but even after that we were we suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Now listen to me. They were not arrogant, but they were bold. There's a big difference because arrogance comes from the works of the flesh and a distorted view of ourself called pride. Boldness comes from a holy unction... That God places in us when we know that we are in the will of God, doing the work of God, and we pray for boldness, and God gives it, and we can share the gospel in spite of our fears. And that's how they began to share the gospel. Notice he says, we were bold in our God. In our God. Folks, the truth of the matter is we don't have much in ourselves to be bold about. There's a lot smarter people than I that I try to witness to. There's older people than I. They have more life experience than me. There's people that have a better car than me, a better house than me, uh, you know, more possessions than me, more knowledge than me, more education than me. So if I try to go and share the gospel, being bold in myself, maybe there's a few people that I could convince myself to go to. But the vast majority, I'd have to shy away from. But when I am bold, and when you are bold in our God, how many of you know that you and God are a majority? Amen? Amen? So they shared the word of God with boldness. But then notice also they shared with genuineness. Chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 tells us, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of uh, covetousness. God is witness. Then he says, nor of men sought we glory. Nor of men sought we glory. Neither of you nor yet of others. What he was saying was, we're here not for a paycheck. He's saying, I didn't come over here so I could brag on myself. I didn't come over here so I could get a love offering. I didn't come this way to get paid. He said, I came here because I genuinely have received the grace of God. I was wrong." God opened my eyes, and now it's in my heart to share this with you. I don't have to tell you that the world needs genuineness. The fact of the matter is, it's hard to know who you can trust, isn't it? I get on my social media, and I'm like... You can scroll one time and read four, it seems like, 400 news articles. And you can't trust the legitimacy of two of them. I mean, if I cared, I would spend all day just figuring out which news outlet was legitimate. Thank God I don't care. I got a pretty legitimate news outlet right here. Way more up to date than whatever they post tomorrow is God's word. My point is this. You can't tell what's genuine and what's not. But the the apostles, they said, hey, we didn't come over here for our own glory. We didn't come here to please men. We didn't come here in deceit or in guile, or in uncleanness. He said, but God allowed us to be put in trust with the gospel, and man, that's why we're here sharing it with you. So, how was the gospel shared in this city? With boldness, with genuineness. But in verse 7, we find out that it was actually shared with gentleness. Look at this verse. It says, but we were gentle among you. Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul says, when I came, I cared about you so much. And I care about the, whether or not you received the gospel message so much that I was as gentle as I could be. Did he tell the truth? You better believe it. But was he arrogant and proud and boastful? No, not at all. He was bold, he was genuine, and he was gentle among them. Gentle among them. And then he shared the gospel in verse 8 with willingness. Willingness. Look at this verse. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. They were willing to impart, and they were willing to invest. Now listen to that. Listen to it with me. Verse 8, being affectionately desirous of you. Man, don't we need that today? Every time preacher Malcolm gets up here and preaches on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that he's affectionately desirous of us, the congregation. He loves us. He wants to feed us God's word and equip us and educate us and edify us so that we'll be the best disciples that we can be for God. And that's how the apostle Paul was. He was absolutely willing of himself. Let me ask you a question before I move on. Are you willing to share the gospel? Are we willing to impart the truth and invest ourselves? Let me just give you this tip. Something I've learned. It doesn't really work to try to give the gospel to someone but not give yourself also. That's when we become what the Bible calls a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But when we can genuinely love people and genuinely care for their soul and genuinely have a concern for their well-being and out of that deep love for God and deep love for others we can impart the truth of the gospel unto them, then God knows we're genuine, they know we're genuine, and we know we're not doing it for any uh, any other ulterior motive. And it's a, it's a big chore to try to give out the truth of this book and hold on to your own heart. It just doesn't work good that way. I remember when about the third year that April and I and my family was in the Philippines, we had a board meeting with our Filipino team and we were discussing a bunch of things and sitting around the table over there. And Long story short, the pastor that was the leader of the, is the, lead, is the leader of our team over there, he was trying to protect us from some things and and finally, me and April just looked at him and we said, Look, we're in it lock, stock, and barrel. Feelings and all. We're here. We've moved here. We live here. We we we're here. Let's just do the work. And he looked at me and he said, Okay, partner. <laughs> And I wish I could tell you from that day to now, it's all been smooth sailing, happy-go-lucky. It hadn't. Matter of fact, it's, it's gotten pretty rough once in a while. But we've all been locked heart in heart together, sharing the gospel from our hearts. So that's how the gospel was shared when they came to Thessalonica. Let's look now uh, Aspect number two, let's look at how the gospel was received. How was it received? I think we'll find out much like it's received in many places around the world today. Number one or A, we find out that the gospel was received in this city with much affliction. Look at chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, hold on. For me, the word affliction and joy don't belong in the same sentence. Unless you said something like, my affliction robbed me of all my joy. (laughs) That's how I see it. But all through the Bible, you find out that they had the most joy when they were the most afflicted. For example, in Acts 13, I think it's verse 52 or 51, something like that. At the very first time that Paul and them went out, they actually got kicked out of the city they went to. The Bible says they were expelled out of the coast. What? And then the last verse says, and so they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with joy kind of like an old fella I used to know back in high school. He would do everything he could to get in fights and get kicked out, suspended from school. And when they handed down that sentence, he was as happy as he could be. Ha, <laughs> ha, I get to go home. And I never could figure that fella out. He wasn't happy unless he was suspended. That's kind of like the disciples. They weren't, it seemed like they weren't happy unless they were persecuted. How about that, Devil? How about Satan trying to stop everything, put the flame out, hide the gospel, make light of Jesus, and in the deepest persecution is the greatest joy for those being persecuted. So my point is, when they received the word of God, remember in Acts 17, some people consorted with Paul and Silas, but the rest of them fought against them. Cursed them, hated them, despised them. So the gospel was received with much affliction. And here's something for us to know. Sometimes if we're truly going to receive the gospel and put it into action in in our life, it may cause affliction and contention even within our own Families. I lost a lot. uh, Well, not a lot. I didn't have a whole bunch, but I lost three or four or five what I thought were good friends when I got saved. I'm talking about within a month. They suddenly lost my phone number. Not that I had a phone. We had a phone at the house. They lost that number. They suddenly didn't, didn't hang out with me anymore. That when I started going to church and... And going to Sunday school and changing, you know, some things in my life started to change. They suddenly didn't have no need for old Trev anymore. But you know what? The more I was learning and the more I was reading and the more I was uh, 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 going to church and began to tithe. and, And before long, God called me to preach. And all of a sudden, the joy that was inside of me just overrode The feelings of being alone because my friends had dissed me. So it was received with much affliction. But check this out. The gospel was received there with much faith or assurance, which is faith. Verse 13, chapter 2, and verse 13 says, For this cause also we thank our God, or for this cause also thank we God without ceasing... Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So, who did the gospel work for? Those that received it by faith. And by the way, when they received the gospel by faith, they had much assurance in their heart about that gospel. I can remember when I first got saved, I didn't know nothing about nothing about nothing about nothing when it came to the Bible. But there were some slick talkers that tried to discourage me, and it didn't really matter what they said, because I was sure in my heart. When I got called to preach... I was a, uh, a junior assistant manager at Winn-Dixie in Vero Beach, and that may not sound like much, but when you just get out of high school and you're making, I, back then I was making $10 an hour, it sure did fill up my gas tank, and I, I enjoyed my job, and and my boss, his name was Mr. Clonotus. We called him K because nobody liked to say Clonotus, not even him. And I went and told Mr. K. I said, Mr. K, God's called me to preach. And the pastor told me to go to Bible college. I'm leaving in a month. And he said, son, you're making the biggest mistake of your young life. And I said, that ain't what Preacher Malcolm said. Who's Preacher Malcolm? He's the guy, this is what I said, he's the one that saved me. (laughs) I didn't know the terminology. I didn't know how to. He said, well, I don't know what he did to you. He said, but you can be promoted to assistant store manager in another few years. You realize how much money you can make then? And he reminded me, he said, you're the youngest junior assistant manager in the whole district, ever. He said, you're just going to throw all that away to go to a Bible college, Really? And then he said, which one is it? I said, it's called victory. He said, are they accredited? I said, what's that? (laughs) He said, they must not be. You're making a mistake. And I was like, well, okay. Where's that notice thing that I'm supposed to give you? Something about a two weeks or something? He just shook his head. And I'll never forget the disgust on his face. He just went, just see... Whatever her name was, just see Sherry in the office. She'll get it for you. He didn't hardly talk to me again during my two-week period. My point is this. I had received the gospel, and even though I didn't know all the ins and outs and ups and downs in theological terms, by faith I was sure in my heart that, man, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I used to didn't care about nobody, but all of a sudden now I love people. and Man, it used to be darkness inside here, and now it feels like light, and man, this is good stuff. And Dr. Doodle Digger, Mr. K, it didn't matter what he said. There was somebody bigger than him giving me joy and assurance. And let me encourage you tonight. You don't have to know all of it tonight. I hope we'll study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. I hope we'll be working toward learning what we can. But you be assured of this, if you've received Christ, you've got the greatest gift that's ever been given or received in the world. Amen? Well, praise God. How the gospel was received, with much affliction, with much assurance, and with much activity. Look in verse 9, chapter 1 in verse 9. I like this. It says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In other words, the point here is when they received Christ, it brought activity. They turned from idols. To serve the true and living God, it was received with activity. I want to encourage you: if you've recently been saved, get involved, do something, begin to do something for God. If you just come up here every once in a while and say, "Hey, hey, Dole, what can I do? Hey, Dustin, what what can I, I want to serve? Tell me what to do." It was received. With much activity. But let's get to the good stuff now. I want to look at how the gospel was not only shared. And how they received it. But I want to look at how the gospel was effective. This is the third aspect of the gospel in Thessalonica. How the gospel was effective. I just read chapter 2 and verse 13. I want to look at it again, though. It says, For this cause also, thank we God, without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, some of you are worried, like I am sometimes, that whoever we witness to just ain't going to believe us. But here's a record right here in the Bible of a group of people That when they heard the voice of men, they counted it as a message from God. And that's what we have to count on. That God will use us to give his word and somebody will hear it and they'll know, hey, this is God trying to get my attention. He said, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, watch this, which effectually... Worketh also in you that believe. In you that believe. You want to know what the difference is? Between somebody that's lost and someone that's saved. It's the gospel in them. It's what's on the inside. That's why you you can come to church all your life. And park yourself right in one of these chairs. or, or, Or on a church pew as we would say. But if you're not saved, and the gospel's not in you, it's not going to be effective on you. One time I was in the Philippines and I was riding a jeepney, which is a like a, 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 a their form of public one of their forms of public transportation. There about nineteen people can fit on one of these, or five Americans. Either way, you know. 19 Filipinos or five Americans. And I was on there with 18 Filipinos and I was the one American and it was tight quarters. And my friend Raul looked at me and he said, he was on the front and I was on the back. He said, preach. And I'm like, what? He said, preach. I'm like, where? He's here. Preach. And I had seen him do that before and he's got more boldness than the Apostle Paul probably, and and I was like, oh man, I don't want to, but anyway, I started preaching, and I don't know how I did it, but in the Filipino language, I sat there and told them eventually that, you know, just because you park your car in the garage doesn't make you, just because you sit down in your garage, that don't make you a car, and I'd been, for some reason, studying a lot of them words, and 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 when I explained that little truth to them, that just because you go sit in a church doesn't make you a Christian, no more than if you sit in your garage makes you a car. It was like this one lady just went, huh, oh. you know, like huh, oh. like and and God did a great work in her heart right there on the public transportation going down through the big city. And I thought the great work was they actually understood. Half of what I was saying to him, <laughs> but here's what I want you to know: When the gospel came to this city, it had an effect. It was effective. It effectually effectually worketh in them. How was it effective? Well, it brought hope. It brought help for their problems. It brought help for their problems. We know the people of Thessalon- Thessalonica had many problems. For example, they were involved in idol worship, fornication, lust. They were ignorant of the truth. We know that because of uh, 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 chapter 4, verses 13 and following when he had to explain to them about the second coming of Christ, the rapture. You see, when the gospel came to them, it was like a like a hand grenade of grace. It just, they thought It was like God threw this hand grenade right in the middle of their problems and boom, it went off and it began to do stuff. We find out they turned from idols and began to worship the true God. They turned from a lifestyle of fornication and began to be holy in their bodies. They turned from lust and began to have pure godly thoughts. They embraced truth and overcame their ignorance. How did it bring help for their problems? By changing their hearts. You see, the gospel changed their hearts. The gospel was effective because it was in them. In them. Romans 8 9 through 11. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, you see it, if it dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Then 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, right here. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the uh, Thessalonians, which is, watch this, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's my point. Because the gospel was in them, it worked its way out of them. You see what I'm saying? Because it was in them, it worked out of them. And that's what this verse in Philippians 2 means. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, uh, or wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That verse is not saying that we should work for our salvation. It says to work out our salvation. You can't work out something that's not in And when God saves us, we become a new creature. We are born again. The Holy Spirit uh, takes up residence in our heart. The Bible says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God and you are bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. So God comes to dwell in us when we get saved. It's our job to learn of Christ and begin to work that out. In our daily lives. Work it out in our daily lives. And that's why the gospel was help for their problems. I like the way one preacher put it. He said the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And if Jesus... If you've never received him as your savior... And he doesn't dwell in your spirit, that's the heart of the problem. Proverbs 23, 27 says, My son, give me thine heart. The gospel was effective because it brought help for their problems. And I could say a lot more about that, but let me ask you this. Do you need help today for your problems? Oh, there's all kind of people we could call, but most of them probably ain't there or they're busy. And that's just how it is. Or they can't help. We get calls every day of the week, literally, at our ministry. The truth is, we can help some of them. That's the truth. I'd like to sit here and blow smoke and say, oh, we, got, we can help everybody, but we can't. Well, a lot of times we just don't have the money. We just don't know. We don't have the resources or, or whatever. Now, sometimes, praise God, we do. And, and we capitalize on them and we shout over them and we praise God for them. But sometimes people's problems are just bigger than our little ministry. But let me tell you this, there ain't never been a problem that stumped God. His line ain't never been busy. He ain't never been helping somebody else and instructed one of his children to take a number. (laughs) And he's always got the answer. I know it may not be how we want to hear it or, 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 or come in the form that we want, but I promise you this. God's a God that can. Somebody say amen right there. It brought help for their problems, but number number next, it brought love for their community. I think that's, I call it B on here. I don't know what it is on there. Yeah, 3B. It brought love for their community. Just like any other community that did not have Christ, they didn't have a lot of love. But we find out, chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, when the gospel came, love came. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase More and more. What Paul's saying is, hey, this brotherly love thing is one of the things that you got down pretty quick. How do you think that happened? Well, it tells us. Ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. When they received the gospel, it brought help for their problems and it brought love for their community. How did it bring love for their community? By binding them together. Verse 9, we find out their love was not lacking. It says they were taught of God to love one another. Then we find out their love was not limited. Verse 10 says they loved all the brethren that were in all Macedonia. In other words, now take this will you tonight. Oh, don't miss this. They didn't just love their little group. Ricky said amen. Amen. They didn't just love their clique. God said their love was so deep. They loved all the brethren in Macedonia. All the other Christians, they loved them. They may have not known them good, but boy, they loved them. They may have not agreed with them all the time, but boy, they loved them. They may not been the same exact stripe, but boy, they loved them. And don't we need a dose of that today? Amen. They needed one another. Why? Because of all the persecution. You think about that. You put yourself or myself in their clothes, in, in, in their situation, in their shoes. That's what I'm saying, not in their clothes, putting ourselves in their shoes. <laughs> to be a Christian was like it is right now in Nigeria. Instant persecution. Remember the missionary we had here that told about getting the the one missionary that they told about got his teeth, his front two teeth knocked out and they broke the the Bible, the radio Bible he had and he was most upset about the Bible being broken? Don't you think that they needed to love one another because of all the persecution? They sure ain't gonna get love from their persecutors. They're sure not going to be encouraged by anyone else. In other words, they were forced to band together. And folks, I don't know how many of us realize it or not, but really, we're forced to band together. If we don't love one another and allow the gospel to change our hearts to the point where we have love for the brethren sincere love then we won't make it much longer in this climate especially the climate the political and the cultural climate that is to come in the next few years we need one another that's how the gospel was effective by binding them together and by building them stronger in First in Thessalonians Paul told them to increase their love more and more and I love this We know it worked because 2 Thessalonians starts out with these words. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, how about this? The preacher told him to do something in in the first letter, and by the time he wrote back in the second letter, he said, y'all did it. You want to know how to, how to be a blessing to the pastor? Do stuff, he says. <laughs> be a disciple. Make disciples. Read your Bible. Pray. In other words, Paul was so happy. He literally said... He said, your faith groweth exceedingly. He told them they need to grow the faith. Then he says, the charity, the love of each one of you all aboundeth. He told them, you need to increase more and more. And then he's like, praise God, y'all did it. That's one of my goals in life. The preacher preaches it, go apply it. <laughs> Amen. I think that make God happy too. Let me give you this last one. How was the gospel effective? It brought help for their problems. It brought love for their community. And lastly, we'll end with this. It brought hope for their future. This is in chapter 4, verses uh, 13 through 18. The clearest uh, teaching of the rapture, I think, that we have in the whole New Testament. In these verses, the term them Which are asleep means those who are dead. It is supposed that the apostle had heard that the Thessalonians, after they were saved, continued to lament their dead loved ones as the heathens did who knew not God and and had no hope of the resurrection of the body. And that they had been puzzled concerning the doctrine of the resurrection. And so Paul includes this whole section In chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, to instruct them that, listen, there's hope for your future. And he gave them this hope in the form of a promise. Verses 13 through 14 says there's a promise of life after death. Let me read it to you. The Bible says, but I would not have you, this is verse 13, chapter 4, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So the promise is there is life after death. One fellow said, well, when you die, you like a rover, just dead all over. That's all there is to it. But no, 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 that's not all there is to it. And that's the promise that Paul gives them here. But then he tells them in verses 15 through 17 about a plan. Watch this, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, And the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the plan is this. Notice the originator of the plan. They said, this we say unto you, brother Dewan, by the word of the Lord. And the originator of the rapture or the plan uh, of things to come is the Lord. But notice the order of this plan. In verse 16, he says, there's going to be a return. For the Lord himself shall return or shall descend from heaven with a shout. Then, uh, after the return, then there's going to be a reunion. A reunion. Those that, uh, or a resurrection. First, then them which are, are dead in Christ, that sleeper in Christ, will rise. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So there's a return, Christ coming back. Then there's a resurrection. Those loved ones that have already died in the Lord. They're saved, but they died. Their bodies are asleep. They're going to be raised. And then there's going to be a reunion. The Bible says we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. A reunion. A reunion. And the point is, by giving them this future plan, he gave them hope. Now, these believers at this church in Thessalonica, man, they had help for their problems. They had love for their community and they even had hope for their future. They didn't have to wonder if they'd see their loved ones again. They didn't have to wonder if death was the final sentence and it was all over after that. They had hope, true hope. And folks, I'm here to remind you tonight, there's help for us. There's love that we can shed abroad and and, and stay close together during persecution. And praise God, there's hope for the future. No matter what they say or they do or who gets elected or who doesn't, the church of the living God is marching on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when it's all said and done down here, it's all just begun over there. Give God praise and glory if you believe that tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm over time by 26 seconds, so I can't preach as good as Pastor Malcolm, but I can end before him. Amen. (laughs) I hope he didn't. Don't hear that. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you.